Can believers really bring about change in the world? We learned early on that when Christians will work together and speak out on the issues, sometimes we can really have some impact. Plus, getting the right attitude in approaching the Lord's Supper. I know that there have been times in my life when I've taken communion too lightly, and that's dangerous. Then, how to make your voice heard in the halls of Congress. Every one person who does call them, they assume that's representing at least 10, if not more, constituents who share the same opinion. And parents discipling their children and equipping them to defend the faith. The Lord has planted us in a dark and decaying world, but to be salt and light. It's necessary in order for our offspring to be able to be faithful to God in the time that He's planted us in. It's the weekend of October 14th and 15th. I'm Jeff Shambly, and this is The Stand Radio. The Stand Radio is based largely on the articles and interviews that you see in the current issue of The Stand magazine. For over 40 years, Randall Murphy has been the editor, but is now retiring and turning over the reins to Rebecca Davis. And both of them are joining me in the studio to talk about The Stand magazine. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Randall, why don't you take me back to when you first came to AFA, because you were here at the very beginning of The Stand magazine. Near the beginning. Okay, all right. But uh, yes, uh, through a friend, I learned of AFA through my sister. I was urged to apply for an opening that Brother Don Wyman advertised. I sent a resume. He called for an interview, and surprisingly, a a few days later, called and said, come to Tupelo. So here I've been for four decades. For four decades. (laughs) That's a a very good beginning. Uh, Rebecca, you've worked with Randall for several years as a staff writer. Uh, What went through your mind when you realized that he would be retiring and that you'd be taking his position? A lot. (laughs) A lot to begin with. Yeah, Um, I'm sure. I knew that I did have very big shoes to fill, and we I worked under Randall for almost 20 years okay. prior to his retirement, so um, almost 20 years, and I did. I just learned learned so much from him. He made me a better writer. He taught me <laughs> how to be an editor, and just most of all, he really modeled for me just day in and day out what it means to be a servant leader, okay. which I think is, is key, and just... Um, I watched him day in and day out do yeah. that in our department as as he led us and and I also saw how important it is to be intentional about making a difference in the culture through the pages hmm. of a magazine. And so I just long to follow in his footsteps and to lead in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Randall in a lot of ways you have chronicled um, the changes in American culture. How have you seen the Lord equip the people of the church to meet those challenges that are so prevalent? First, Rebecca is extremely gracious <laughs> and uh, highly complimentary, more, more than I deserve. Okay. But uh, to your question, the, uh, even in the early years, you know, we, we first addressed the issue of family television programming. And Don Wildman was always an activist. Our founder took us in that direction, and we've stayed Mm -hmm. on that track through these uh, 40-something years now. We saw people begin to get educated and informed, and 
Then, lo and behold, some became activists, just as, as Brother Don had hoped and dreamed and, and prayed. So we would see, for example, I remember a letter from a mother who read our newsletter uh, at the time, back in the early 80s, who called and said, it works. Hmm. I went to the corner drugstore where they were selling, at that time, porn magazines. She said, it's a neighborhood grocery store. And just based on your encouragement and your challenge, we went into that store and said, we don't want this stuff in our neighborhood. And, And it was taken out. When we learned early on that when Christians will work together and speak out on the issues, that uh, sometimes we can really have some impact. Rebecca, what are your goals for the Stand Magazine as you uh, take the helm now? Mm, that's a that's a big question, <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> um, I really think I just want to just to continue leading with um, excellence and integrity. I want to love and serve our readers. I want to keep bringing them a publication that is informative, that's encouraging, Mm -hmm. and mainly just um, bring them a publication that is for God's glory and for the good of AFA and for our readers. Yeah, those are good goals. Both of you, what do you hope that people will come away with when they subscribe to The Stand Magazine? Randall, we'll start with you. I think we hope that they still will become informed, okay. challenged, and motivated to get out and be a part of the culture. Rebecca? And that's that's very similar to what to to what I would say as well, is just I want it to be a magazine that after they read, they're motivated to know Christ more, to take action. Right. That's key, to take action in the culture war and ultimately make a difference for the kingdom. Well, Rebecca, congratulations on your new position as editor of The Stand Magazine. And Randall, congratulations to you on your retirement. Thank you, sir. One of the features of every issue of The Stand Magazine is the section on book and resource reviews. And joining us right now is staff writer Joy Lucius, and she's here to share one of those books with us today. Joy, what do you have for us? Oh, well, thank you for inviting me to talk about this book. It's called The Lord's Supper by Jonathan Black. And Jonathan Black is actually a lecturer, professor, and theologian at Regents Theological College in West Malvern, uh, UK. Mm-hmm. Um, I was first attracted to the book, I'm going to be honest, because the foreword is done by Dr. Michael L. Brown, and right. I love Dr. Brown. He, as we have discussed, is a prolific writer, probably one of the most prolific in America right now. Yeah. And so I thought when this book came across my desk, if he approved it, then I definitely want to learn something. And so... Um, I began reading it, and it's not a quick read, but it's an easy read in that it is so well written. Mm. You can tell he's a teacher and a lecturer, and so Black really takes you through the Lord's Supper and and helps you to learn about communion. And Mm. really, I kind of learned more than I meant to learn from the get-go because um, he first starts out—I really love the way he starts out. I love— you have me in a book when you start with a story. Okay. And he talks about the road to Emmaus and how the people on the road to Emmaus 
did not recognize Jesus. They were literally walking Mm -hmm. with Jesus, the risen Savior, and they didn't even know it. And so he talked about how sometimes as Christians, as born-again Christians who are living lives set apart and dedicated to Christ, we still don't quite get it. Hmm. And we even sometimes know there's something missing. I'm just not quite getting it all. And so he equated that to... um, the road to Emmaus, that we're, we're just kind of not seeing Jesus completely. And then, of course, he took us to um, the upper room, and um, he talked about the actual Lord's Supper, and he went through the, the actual story of it. And I'm always in awe. I mean, doesn't it amaze you to know that Jesus sat and washed Judas's oh, yeah. feet? And he yes. knew. And so he goes through all of the actual communion, and then he starts his lesson. And I love it because it is thorough. You can tell he spent a lifetime Mm -hmm. studying. And one of the things that he said that really struck me is that we can not have communion, which if you trace the word back, it basically means fellowship. Fellowship. If we, we cannot have communion with Christ until we have union with Christ. Mm-hmm. And so you think about that and you think about how many people in American churches and churches all over the world um, take communion mm-hmm. and maybe they take communion and yet they don't even have union with Christ. And so he very um, plainly goes through the plan of salvation okay. and how you, um, you know, we want to become one with Christ. And then he goes through, and I have to tell you, this was a little hard for me, Jeff. Um, I'm not a theologian. I'm just an everyday Christian, a mom and a grandmama. And yet he um, put the different viewpoints in language that I could understand. So memorialism is what most everyday Christians think of communion. It's just done in memory of Christ. Right. It's symbolic. symbolic okay. So when you take the bread and the wine, which in most cases, in most churches, it's not even bread and wine anymore. It's a wafer and some juice right. um, that you are symbolically honoring and memorializing Christ. But then there is transubstantiation is when you literally believe that the wine and the bread are transformed okay. into the body of Christ through this holy moment of communion. Mm -hmm. And uh, then there is consubstantiation, and it is when literally we believe that Christ comes in to the moment of communion and that uh, it's more than symbolic, but it's not truly transformed into the body of Christ. But he comes in to Mm -hmm. the moment when we're taking communion. And then he talks about that no matter where you stand on those beliefs, that there's still more to communion, that if we want to have true fellowship with Jesus, then we've got to learn um, what it means, and we've got to do it the way the disciples did it. So that was um, kind of, I had to stop and close the book and think about that for a while Mm. because I don't know about you, but I've been places where I know that there have been times in my life when I've taken communion too lightly, and yeah. that's dangerous. He goes through how the the scriptures teach us that if you come into communion with unforgiveness, that you're in danger, that it's a dangerous place to bring your harbored 
mm-hmm. unforgiveness into the presence of God and take communion with Him. Um, but I've also been in places like I know that in our family, when we were in the ICU for almost two weeks with our oldest son, there was no wine, there was no bread, mm-hmm. and there were times yet in the uh, quietness or the the terror of our situation that I would sit by myself and drink those little things of juice, apple juice, and break some crackers and have communion with I Christ. See, right. So um, I think for anyone who loves to read and who wants to learn more about um, Jesus and more about the Bible, this is a great resource. Well, the title of the book, once again, is The Lord's Supper. Uh, the author is uh, Jonathan Black. 240 pages available at christianbook.com and also in ebook and audiobook formats. Joy Lucius, thanks so much for sharing with us. Thank you. The house will be in order. The chair lays before the house a communication from the speaker. Next, getting in touch with Congress. It was Mark Twain who said it best, I think. Citizenship is what makes a republic. Monarchies can get along without it. (laughs) Well, the fact is, in our constitutional republic, it's crucial to be active citizens. And joining us to explain how to do that is Debbie Wuthnow. She's a vice president of AFA and president of Guide. It's a pleasure to have you with us today, Debbie. It's a pleasure to be here. Debbie, some people listening may limit their civic responsibilities simply to voting. Uh, Can you tell us why there would be some situations where it would be necessary to contact a member of Congress? Well, uh, Congress is supposed to represent us and what's important to us. And so uh, you need to let them know what is important to you. There, There will be legislation that comes before them that they have to make decisions. And it's amazing what um, power the representatives in their district have over the, uh, you know, bills that they will support or, or go against or even bills they'll propose. So, uh, you know, they represent us. So we need to let them know what we think by contacting them. Would you walk us through the process if someone wants to contact a member of Congress Exactly how do they do that? Well, first you have to know who your member of Congress is, and there are ways that the gov- house.gov uh, okay. slash representatives can help you find your house representative, uh, senate.gov for the Senate. So you have to know who they are, find out their contact information, and then you give them a phone call. And we can talk through what you do on that phone call. Sure. Let's get into that uh, issue of the phone calls. First of all, you know, some people may think that they're either intruding or they're stepping out of their bounds and even contacting a member of Congress. How are these calls received from the people on Capitol Hill? Well, the way that they, the the staff for that representative will factor in, and, and they realize not many people call them. Okay. So every one person who does call them, they assume that's representing at least ten, if not more, wow. constituents who share the same opinion or have the same perspective. So it's worth your time to Mm. share what you feel about that issue. Yeah, my second question was, are they effective? I guess that answers the question. Uh, (laughs) If if a representative or a a congressman gets that call, it's worth a lot. It's worth a lot. And in fact, you may not actually talk to the representative. They have people who answer their phone. They call them staffers sometimes. And, you know, they're keeping a tally of how many people called and, you know, were they from the district of that representative or not. So sometimes you just need to give them your zip code and that tells them that you actually are my representative. And then they keep a tally of, you know, this person said, I support this issue. This person says I don't. Um, Mm -hmm. And it guides them in how they vote. 
Very good. What are some of the main points to remember now when you write an email or make a phone call? Well, number one is, as I said, give your zip code so they know that you are in their district. Identify yourself as being from their district. Zip code can do that. And then be specific. Prepare in advance. Um, brief is not bad. I'm calling because I heard you uh, are uh, you know, debating voter ID and I'm in support of using voter ID period. You know, mm -hmm. your goal is just to give them enough information to know your stance on that issue that's coming up. And then be timely. It's it's most important to call them when that issue is being discussed. Um, when you, you know, maybe you connect with AFA Action and they let you know now's the time to call. So call them when it's timely. Uh, the next thing to remember is to be kind and courteous, to be to be respectful, to be civil. Um, learn the names of the, uh, the staffers that work for your representative and build relationship with them. And then when you're done, finally, uh, just say thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing my opinions with, with the representative, and I'd be happy to talk with them some other time. Very good. And that does it. Tell us a little bit about iVoterGuide. So iVoterGuide is a division of AFA Action with the mission to equip voters to vote wisely when it's time to elect those people that represent you. So, um, you know, th those elections happen at least every two years and if not more often at the state and the local level. So iVoterGuide researches what's important to those candidates or those any and representatives. How have they voted on issues? Who have they given money to? Mm -hmm. um, who's endorsed them? We send them our issue survey and then we have this army of volunteers who assigns a rating to each candidate from verified liberal to verified conservative to kind of give you a snapshot of their political philosophy flavored a little bit with their worldview because we really would like to, I personally want to identify uh, candidates who share my biblical worldview and will fight right. for biblical freedoms. Um, and then you go to iVoterGuide.com, enter your address and get your personalized ballot. And so we're just there to help you be a good steward of your responsibility to vote by voting wisely. I'll tell you what, this is a fantastic resource, iVoterGuide.com. Not only can you do everything that you just described, but there are also articles and uh, resources to help you understand what it's like to become a biblical citizen and what the Bible says about all of these different kinds of issues that we hear so much about. So it's a fantastic resource. So, uh, Debbie, thanks so much for your work on that uh, project. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's uh, It was a God calling, and it's done for His glory. Last question. What fuels the passion that you have for civic involvement? Um, it's my love for Christ. It's part of my being salt and light. Um, I view God as calling me to, uh, to, to I voter guide, but he's also called me to be a citizen of America, each of us. And we are called to be good stewards of our talents. You know, I don't want to be the person who buries my talent. I want to be a good steward and multiply that. And I personally need the information at I voter guide to, uh, to vote wisely personally. And I'm understanding we all need to, if we want America to look like biblical values, we've got to participate in the process and be involved. And, and the minimum we can each do is to vote wisely. Very good. Debbie Wolfnell, thanks so much for your time today. My pleasure. Now, passing the gospel torch to our children. Abraham Hamilton III is heard every weekday on AFR on the Hamilton Corner, calling believers to contend for the faith. In the current issue of The Stand magazine, he talks about discipling children. I caught up with Abraham at his home, and as we walked toward his office, he introduced me to his children. All right, so this is our schoolroom where three of our youngers 
Hello, are hello. learning. So this is Abby, Gaby, Danny. Y'all want to say hi? <laughs> I brought up a recent Pew Research study that showed the natural tendency of children to follow their parents' values. I asked him why that wasn't enough for Christian parents. The major reason why um, that natural occurrence isn't enough is uh, because regeneration is not a natural occurrence. <laughs> Being born again is the work of the Spirit of God uh, upon an unregenerate heart, you know, and so you have some things that may uh, transmute superficially, but the core of uh, faithfulness to Christ, adherence uh, to submission to the Lord's word as authoritative and um, true authentic faith is not the product of, of a mere natural occurrence. So it has to be uh, in order for subsequent generations to be uh, inculcated in Christ following. It has to be the product of intentional gospel proclamation and discipleship uh, investment. At this very moment, many of you, if not most of you, are making your transition from your part-time jobs where you generate an income to your full-time jobs where you cultivate an outcome. And as you do so, I want to encourage you to do it with intentionality and comprehension as to exactly what it is you get the opportunity to do. It should not be lost. Every day on your show, The Hamilton Corner, you begin with a reminder of the importance of deliberate parental input into children's lives. Why are you so passionate about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, first and foremost, I'm passionate about it because as a Christian, personally, it is commanded to Christians by God, you know, and unfortunately, many Christians treat God's commands as if they're suggestions, you know, as if they are uh, highly recommended, but reject if you're not inclined. No, there actually are commands. Secondarily, uh, it is the Lord's desire for every generation to be replete with witness, with a gospel witness, and God chooses to do that through people. And so uh, because I am a Christian personally, I'm invested in the, the life and the vitality of the Lord's church. It is central to really who I am. This is our dining room table where we usually do family devotions, family okay. worship. Actually, Anna, she is uh, skilled in music, learns the piano, and she always brings a hymn, uh, some song where we start a worshiping song, and then we break the word of God open right here at the dining room table. Good. In the evenings after I get off the air. <laughs> okay. How do you and Maria um, implement those things here in your own home? Yeah, one of the major things that, that God impressed upon us as we uh, began to learn that the Lord commanded my, my wife and I to disciple our children was one of the primary ingredients that sometimes goes overlooked is time. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, uh, the Jewish Shema, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and your strength. It goes on to say, and you shall teach this diligently to your children when you rise and when you sleep and when you walk by the way. The thing that the Lord gripped us with is that disciples aren't made in a microwave. Mm. You know, it requires time. Now, the scripture was the first thing that, that grabbed us with that. Then endeavoring to put that into practice, what we found is that quantity of time with our children gives rise to quality of time with them. So the frequency with which we interact sets the stage for us to have these substantive interactions right. about life, death, eternity, purpose, things of that nature. And so uh, that's how we endeavor to implement it by creating opportunities where we have frequent interactions with them. And one of the major decisions we made to accomplish that is to educate our children at home and our education being viewed as a subset of our overarching impetus to make disciples of our children.
Let's broaden it out just a little bit. What do you think the connection is between strong homes and the society at large? Oh, it's very plain. Uh, society is, the, I mean, family is the fundamental building block of any society. You know, we read Psalm 128. It gives the, 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 cre- the, the clear communication of that phenomenon. The transformed individual becomes an anchor for a transformed family. The transformed family becomes an anchor you know, for a transformed church. Transformed church becomes an anchor for a transformed society. We will never be able to out-politic deficiencies that are prevalent in the homes. Yeah. Wow. How should parents' discipleship prepare uh, the kids to voice the biblical worldview in a secular place? Yeah. Uh, it is Jesus himself who made the observation that I've given my, given my disciples your word and the world will hate them. Then he said, but I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm asking you to keep them in it, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God knows very well that he's planted us in a society of rapid decay. The necessity for the believer to be able to stand and be effective. I I think a great example for us in our day and age is Daniel and his friends. You know, the, the testimony about Daniel and his friends are often described as the Hebrew boys. But the fact is there were only boys in chapter one of the book of Daniel. From chapter two on, they're not only grown men, they're grown grown. You know, <laughs> later on where we see Daniel contesting uh, and, and, and standing faithful to Yahweh and then ultimately being placed in the lion's den. There are lots of pictures that depict that as if Daniel is some strapping young boy. But the facts are Daniel was in his 80s, hmm. close to his 80s and in his 80s about that time. And so you have an octogenarian standing in the lion's den. And so the book of Daniel gives us an example of people of God starting as boys in chapter one who are in Babylon for really 70 years as the prophet Jeremiah prophesied. But though they were in Babylon far longer than they ever were in Judah, Babylon never got in them. Our call is similar. The Lord has planted us in a dark and decaying world, but to be salt and light. It's necessary in order for our offspring to be able to be faithful to God in the time that he's planted us in. You're not only a radio host and an attorney and father, you're also a pastor. Uh, (laughs) what, What is the role of pastors and churches in biblical training and discipleship? Yeah, Ephesians chapter 4 communicates very well. It is the, the church's responsibility to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So by all too, all too often in our country, people view ministry as solely as what goes on behind the pulpit. When the reality is that the organized church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, is a gathering of believers, but for the purposes of being fortified, sharpened, and trained so that when you leave the corporate gathering of believers, that you're effective in doing the work of the ministry. It is the pastor's job as a shepherd, as a clarion voice, um, conveying the truths of scripture to sharpen the people of God, to prepare them to stand in the day and time that God has planted them in. Because Acts 17, the Lord says, he determined the boundaries of our habitations and the time in which we would live. It is the shepherd's job to fortify the Lord's people, to be effective ambassadors of the eternal kingdom of God in the time that he's planted us in. That's Abraham Hamilton III featured in this month's The Stand Magazine. Coming up next week, Dr. Kathy Cook, president and founder of Celebrate Kids, gives us some great advice and warnings on children and smartphones. And staff writer Rusty Benson reminds us of the challenges of America's past to help us make sense out of the world we live in today. If you like what you've heard today, it's just a sample of what you'll get every month when you subscribe to The Stand magazine. We encourage you to get your free six-month subscription. Just visit afa.net slash the stand. If you have any questions or comments about what you've heard today, just email us at the stand at afa.net. 
and podcasts of this program are available at AFR.net slash podcasts. Until next time, I'm Jeff Shambly. Thanks for listening.